0: We're reading this morning in Romans chapter 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another, It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord. While the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord For we will all stand before the judgment seat of god for it is written as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me every tongue shall confess to god so then each one of us will give an account of himself to god this is the word of god
1: romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12 romans 14 uh we're kind of doing it in two sections so we'll be in this this idea of the weaker and stronger brother for two weeks uh, so, if you get really annoyed about the message this week, you will uh, be even more annoyed next week because it's really too. Uh, we're just taking it; too, it's too much to do in one, uh, one, one week. Do the whole chapter, so we're going to do it in two sections. Uh, two brothers were out in the street playing catch, and pretty soon they were arguing, as you would expect after a, a few minutes. And then pretty soon it was red-faced yelling, arguing, and then you could see it was getting ready to become a fist fight. And that's when dad said, you know, I better go out there before somebody gets hurt. He said, what's going on? And the boy said, we're playing catch. And and the rule is, if you drop the ball, the other guy gets a point, right? I mean, it's not that hard. Yeah, you drop the ball, the other guy gets a point. And, well, he dropped it, and he says he didn't. And the other guy, no, well, it got really close to the ground, but I was able to get it before it actually touched the ground. And so it, so it doesn't count. And so as you would expect in, among these brothers, this was... Uh, an issue that they were arguing over. One's no, to know, it's my point. And then the argument is, the dad's like, guys, 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 what'd you come out here for? Play some catch, get some exercise, have some fun. You're getting ready to have a fight. The, the fabric of the universe does not rely on the accuracy of the decision regarding this point. Maybe we could just move on and do a do-over and the, and the boys wouldn't have it, would they? You know, if there's any boys who have a brother that you've done this, No. We're not talking to each other for the rest of our lives until he finally realized how stupid he is, right? That's the way this goes. So at the end of the day, I don't understand what the big deal is. This doesn't matter. I mean, I know you guys are passionate about, each of you in your particular arena, it's a big deal to you. And we're not saying it's not a big deal to you. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And that's what we're talking about in Romans 14, regarding things that don't matter which are things you think are really, 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 really important. But at the end of the day, they don't matter. So let's define some terms before we jump into the, the text. Look at Romans 14.1. Uh, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So what was going on is people who were either uh, Gentiles who would get saved or Jews who would get saved both came into the community of believers with a historical background regarding how they ate. So Gentiles who were saved, maybe in their old life they would worship pagan deities and as a part of that worship they would eat particular foods, particular meats, particular cuts of meat that would make them recall back to their times worshiping pagan false gods. Now, Jews who were getting saved as well had a dietary system that they followed that you might be very familiar with. No uh, pork, uh, no shrimp, uh, a number of things that they couldn't eat and uh, they could eat. And they come into the, the gospel community of the believers where we realize that there is no dietary restriction. Peter made that quite clear in the in the book of Acts. and And Paul even makes it clear down in verse 14. We'll look at it next week, but... Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself. So the gospel makes it clear in terms of dietary restrictions, there is nothing unclean. But a person comes in having worshipped pagan gods and say, for example, uh, they worshiped that pagan god by eating a T-bone steak. And now they come to a fellowship dinner or a love feast that the church might have, and the menu that day is T-bone steak. And the believer knows in his head, he's read his Bible, he's heard Paul teach, he's, he recognizes, recognizes the freedom of the gospel, but with that giant T-bone steak sitting in front of him, this isn't fair, is it? It's nice. It's juicy, it's just on medium rare, or, oh, sorry, Stan, well done. Um, now you're hungry, right? but what is he thinking about he's sitting there he goes well this reminds me of how i used to worship at the pagan temple and it's not that he thinks it's wrong i the the best word i can get for it is it just makes him feel squeamish It just makes him feel like this doesn't sit well with me or say the jewish believer comes in and it's a bacon wrapped prime rib and he said well i know there's nothing wrong with it and it sounds delicious but uh, but but it just doesn't sit right with me And so the Bible describes that individual as a weak person, the weak in the faith. Why is that person described as weak in the faith? Because their their faith has not developed yet to the point where they can enjoy the liberty God has offered without feeling a sort of a restriction in their conscience, a little bit of a squeamishness. And we need to understand as a body of believers, how do we relate to one another When each of us comes into the body of faith with different kinds of things that make us go really you're gonna do that and That's what this passage is about regarding things that don't matter How do we relate with one another and with God in these things where the Bible doesn't tell us they're right or wrong? Each person can navigate it based on their conviction. So verses 4 through 9. We're gonna actually start in verse 4 regarding things that don't matter first thing we need to recognize, each of us will give an answer to God. Each of us will give an answer to God. When you go in for your annual performance review as an employee, not a smart move in the middle of that review to then explain to your boss all the ways your fellow employees are doing a terrible job. It's not a smart move because the point of of your annual performance review is for your boss to give you a, a perspective on what he thinks of your job and it's gonna make you look bad if you're ripping down the other employees. Now, some of you are taking notes, good. The other thing is, what if, as you're tearing down the other employees for what they do, the boss is thinking, well, those are the things I really value. What do I think of you? You You don't value the things that I think are really, really important. And what the Bible says about these things that don't matter, we need to recognize our point of accountability is God himself. Our point of accountability is God himself and how we relate to one another as believers is defined by how we relate to God himself. So how we relate to one another as believers is is primarily defined by our relationship with Jesus. How does that work? Namely this. I don't know how to say this politely. We see each other, see ourselves in the body of Christ as household servants The master is Jesus, and our relationship with one another is fellow servants. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? As a fellow servant in the household of God, who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Whose job is it to pass judgment on a servant? The master of the house, not the fellow servants. It continues in verse 4, it is before his own master he stands and falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. The first thing we need to recognize about things that don't matter, each of us will answer to God and you're not God. I said it's slow so you'd catch it. Jesus is the master of that house. Jesus is the Lord by nature of who he is, creator and sustainer of the universe, and by nature of what he did. Died on the cross to provide redemption and forgiveness of sins. Jesus provided the means by which we have a relational community because we only come together because Jesus saved us from our sins. It's his household. He's the Lord and master of it because without him, it doesn't exist. And since he is the master of the house and we are fellow servants in the house, we see one another differently, not in a hierarchy, but rather as all of us serving the Lord and the Lord himself. Maybe you'll think about it this way. Do you think when you die, you will give an account to God for your life? If you don't think so, that's fine. It's just you disagree with the Bible. As the Bible tells us, each and every person, each and every believer, when they die, will stand before God. We'll look at it in detail a little bit later, but we'll stand before God and give an account for our life, for the things we've done, whether good or bad, right? If, if that bothers you, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, what the Bible says. But think about it this way. Do you think your fellow believers will stand before God and to give an account to, to God for their life, whether good or bad? yes or no? Do you think your fellow believers will? Yes. Good news. You don't have to hold them to account. Not your job. Those two boys, when they're arguing, one of the brothers might say to the other one, dad's coming home soon. I'll let you deal with him. And that's a fair thing to say. Now, of course, when boys are looking forward to their dad coming home, they're looking for ways to deceive the dad, to make sure he takes their side of it. There's no tricking God. God knows every human heart. So for some reason, as believers, we have decided that God's judgment seat isn't going to be severe enough, so we'd better help him along a little bit. And we'll make sure we judge one another on the way there. Kind of make sure we leave a mark when people around us aren't living the way we think Christians ought to live. Instead, what we should do, what we should do is trust Jesus will hold one another account. And so it frees us up from the job of being the Lord of the house, and we can just simply be fellow servants with one another. Do you trust Jesus? I pray that you do. If you do, you can let your fellow servants off the hook because God will take care of it. God will handle it. If we trust Jesus, then we can trust him to handle the business he needs to handle with our fellow servants. We might ask ourselves this question, do we really think we know better than Jesus? On what's going on in the heart of our fellow believers and that's precisely the economy of the believers here he said in regard to things that don't matter that is things we clearly know that we the bible doesn't say do this or don't do this we ought to allow jesus to be the judge in the lives of the people around us look at verses five and six let's look at some specific things that were going on in the church there a little bit later on we'll talk about some specific things we deal with that may be a little different One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So one person might get saved, uh, and he said, you know, I love worshiping God on Sundays because that was the day Jesus was raised from the dead, and so that seems really appropriate. But a Jew, maybe, he says, well, he got saved, and I love worshiping Jesus on Sabbath because that that rhythm seems a little bit normal to to worship him on the day of rest, on the seventh day of the week. And so that seems to fit a little better with me. And another guy will say, Well, I like worshiping him on Wednesday nights because my master doesn't let me have Saturday or Sunday off. And then another guy says, I worship him all day. I'm just always in an attitude of worship. The other three smack him. <laughs> and he's like, Get off your high horse. No. But another guy said, I don't oh, know, the days are all the same to me. It's like Groundhog Day. One day is no different than another. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say is the appropriate day? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. How could we do this? Well, a pastor, I won't say who, but a pastor a few years ago on Easter Sunday decided up, to get up and not preach a sermon related to the resurrection, specifically a, what we might call an Easter service. In fact, it was, it was a sermon on, on stewardship, of all things. You could imagine the reaction he got. I could imagine the reaction I would get if I did such a thing. Does the Bible say we have to celebrate Easter? No. Does the Bible say we have to celebrate Christmas? Oh, now it's getting real up in here. No. In fact, half of the Gospels don't even include the story. Right? I mean, John couldn't be bothered to include the Christmas story. He was just too busy. Right? So, but for some reason, say this, say this year that we won't do this because I love Christmas so much. We just, you know, we're not going to really do a Christmas service because it's not in the Bible. Do you think some people would be frustrated with that? Yeah, the weak ones, according to no, I'm kidding, that's terrible. <laughs> it's, it's inappropriate. But this is what we're talking. Some people esteem one day. Say, no, you, we have to celebrate Easter. Yeah, we celebrate Easter on weekdays and weekends. If you're alive in Jesus, you're celebrating Easter. The Bible doesn't say in April, get together and have Easter. Now we do that. That's a day that's special to us, isn't it? It's not everywhere. In some places, it's a different day. We don't celebrate Good Friday to the same level and significance that many of our brothers and sisters do around the world. And they may be a little bit annoyed that we don't celebrate Good Friday. That's the day he died on the cross. It seems like kind of a big deal. So one esteems one day, one esteems another day, but the Bible is not making a stand on it. It's saying, listen, that's a, an individual, that's a thing that doesn't matter. And what you need to do is you will answer to God about how you navigate your convictions. You will not need to have your fellow brothers and sisters answer to you about your conviction. One observes one day and calls it an honor. Then it says here, the second half of verse six, one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. What's important here is what's going on in the human heart. And we need to recognize the definitions the Bible is giving us here. Those who their consciences are pressured because of these uh, unregulated matters are described as weak in their faith. If our conscience is constrained over things the Bible does not say yes or no on, I'm just being honest with you, that means we are weak in our faith in that particular area. So if you, feel, now if you don't worship on Sunday, you're doing something wrong. No offense. But that means you're weak in your faith in that particular area. Whereas a strong person here is described as one who understands you can express yourself in these unregulated areas in a number of different ways. It's whatever, bro. You want to eat T-bone? Eat T-bone. If you want to eat only vegetables, I'll eat your T-bone. It's not a problem. It isn't about what is sinful or not sinful. It's about how a person, because of their background, approaches different rhythms of life. It's really about preference and choices and what each individual is to do in these areas of personal preference, choice, and conviction, and conscience, seek to honor Christ in their heart. It's, that's easy to do in a room that's empty. It's more difficult to do when you join a community of believers that are defined by the gospel where you have a number of people coming together who have different points of view about things that are sort of unregulated. Look at verse 7 and 8. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. He's reminding us that in the community of the gospel, God has saved us to be among a people. We don't live for ourselves. I mean, We didn't become a Christian to live on an island A part of becoming a believer in Christ is joining the body of Christ. That's a fundamental element of what it means to become a believer is to join the people of God who are defined as those identified as having been saved by faith in Christ alone. To be saved is to be saved into a body of believers who are not like you. That's the idea. So we don't live so that means we come into a body of believers with our, our background and our history and our convictions and our opinions and our preferences. And the, the job is coming into this, how do I now interact with other people around me who would think differently about some of these things? Verse 8 For if we live, we live to the Lord, if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, whose are we? We are the Lord's. We're servants of the Most High God, both in life And in death and in resurrection, Jesus is Lord always. Jesus is Lord is the starting point of the discussion over what do we do with these things, where we have weak believers and we have strong believers. The question is, who is who's in charge? Jesus. He is Lord. So each of us is going to navigate our personal convictions with that as our reference point. Jesus is Lord, not me and my opinions, not me and my preferences. Look at verse 9. Working our way through it. To this end Christ died and he lived again that he might be Lord of both the uh, the dead and the living. Jesus is raised. He is Lord of all. In our thinking about things that are personal opinion and preference must be be, um, held with reference to Jesus as... As Lord. I'm not having a moment of conviction. I've written a note here. I have no idea what I meant. <laughs> and I, my assumption is that Jeff has been messing with my. <laughs> we'll just move on. What is the difference between things uh, that are our preferences and things we know are right or wrong? The way the Bible defines these are. It's in the book of Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. You want if you want to turn there, turn to Galatians five. We're not going to go there. You turn that on your own time. The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, but just before that, it says the deeds of the flesh are obvious. That same list is in Romans. It's in Ephesians. The deeds of the flesh are obvious. Uh, A couple of heavy hitters that show up in those lists: Uh, greed, uh, idolatry, selfishness, lust, drunkenness, uh, idol worship. a lot of things. I mean, these are, these are not complicated things, things you're well aware of, things that the Bible says these are, are, are sins. So the Bible says here are the things you shouldn't do the, the deeds of the flesh, the appetites of the flesh. This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about the things where the Bible isn't saying one way or the other on it, and you have a personal, strongly held opinion about what you can eat or what you can drink or what you can't eat or what you can't drink. And the Bible is saying we have to understand that if we are constrained by something the Bible doesn't limit, we need to recognize, by definition, we are weak in our faith in that particular area. So if our preferences and opinions on things that don't matter are important to us, what kind of opportunity does it present to us? What it does is it presents us an opportunity to honor Christ as Lord in the body of believers with our preferences. Because what we can do is say, I know what I think. I know what I think ought to be. I know what I feel strongly about. How do I relate to others in a way that brings glory to Jesus? And the answer is, don't judge. That's the answer. Don't judge. So regarding things that don't matter, first of all, each of us will answer to God. So the the second thing we need to look at is just simply this. Since each of us are going to answer to God, why are we judging? Putting our preferences and opinions as the highest order of things in the body of Christ undervalues and devalues the covenant community that is founded on the gospel. If in order for us to have commonality with other believers, they have to think about unnecessary things, politics, money, food and drink, if they have to think the same way as me in order for me to have fellowship I have now devalued the cross because what I have said is the cross only works if I hang out with people like me. So if I require the people around me to have the same opinions about uh, unregulated things, I basically say the cross is really good for people who have the same political opinions as me, come from the same racial background as me, come from the same educational background as me, people who have a similar economic status as me. Well, that's where the gospel works. But outside those confines, we really don't have anything in common. And I'm going to judge you. And when we put our preferences and opinions too high, it devalues the cross of Christ. We have to understand that. To be weak in our faith, and if over a period of time, uh, if we allow that to continue to be a thing, it reduces the impact of the cross in our own lives. Weak or strong, we don't judge because one day we will all stand before the judge. Your deep conviction on things that don't matter are not God's biggest concern. Your deep conviction on things that don't matter, politics, money, food and drink, how people educate their kids, your deep convictions on these things, the Bible says, you know, you do your thing, is not God's highest thing. Covenant community in the body of Christ is God's thing. Jesus in John chapter 17 said, be one as the father and I are one so that the world will know that I'm raised from the dead. He didn't say, be one as, as the father and I are one as long as you agree on how you're supposed to vote. As long as you agree on appropriate immigration policy. As long as you agree on how you ought to educate your children. Then be one, and then the, no—that's not what it says, does it? It says just be one, and in fact, be one in the gospel. To the, even when those other things are disagreements, because that shows the body of Christ. The, the way the body of Christ is supposed to function in unity, the world is supposed to look at the body of Christ and go, "How in the world do those people get along?" That group of people would never gather in any other context. And people say, well, why do you get along? There's young people. There's old people. There's people of a variety of racial and ethnic backgrounds. There's people from a variety of economic backgrounds. There's, there's people from a, a variety of, of former religious backgrounds. And how do you people get along? And we say, we don't. Jesus makes it work. But unfortunately, it's not really the case most of the time. Churches in most of the places are, would gather whether or not Jesus showed up or not. It's a bunch of people who have a lot in common, but the Bible is calling us to have have Christ as our primary point of commonality. Look at verse 3 again, if you don't mind. So the first thing that we're being commanded to do in these things, let not one who eats despise the one who abstains. This is a good one because maybe this is real time here in southern Oregon. Let not the meat eater despise the vegetarian. I think that works. We've got some meat-atarians in the room. You know, when I go to Mod Pizza, and they don't pay for this, pla- this product placement, they say, what do you want on the pizza? I say, the meats will go on the pizza. And uh, somebody go, you go to Mod Pizza? You're judging me now because I go to Mod Pizza. Now we need to cover that. <laughs> and then somebody else might come and say, I won't say who, somebody else might come and say, I'll have the cauliflower crust. Did you know this is a thing? I said there's some guys in the room that are like shaking their They've they've been offended now and then they say I didn't know I was gonna get offended.' There's a cauliflower crust and I'm going Why in the world would you would you? Why in the world would you ever order a cauliflower? I have no I don't have a category for why you would do that now I know you might be gluten free or gluten free And that's this it's totally cool. I've offended the gluten-free people I didn't mean to I'm offending the gluttons. That's where I was going there and so you say, well, what, what's important? What's the, what's a, do not despise the one who eats or doesn't eat. Why? Because you're not in charge of them. It's not your job. Guess what? You can have lots of jobs in the body of Christ. One of the jobs you don't have is worrying about this stuff in other people's lives. You can leave that up to Jesus. You can let go of the job of deciding if they're awesome enough Christian for you because they eat meat or don't eat me. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. The first thing we have to recognize in our hearts as individuals, if people do things differently than us that are not mentioned explicitly in scripture and it bothers us, the problem is not them. uh, Don't despise. It's a clear command in scripture, don't despise. Whichever, Whichever end of the issue you're you're on, whatever issue might be, if you and your heart are going, that person is a lame Christian, the problem is not the lamo. The problem is the despising. And suddenly, in that moment, my heart needs to recognize, I want to be Jesus and, and sit on the judgment seat. That's not your job. You'd be terrible at it. We're going to let Jesus do it. The weak ones follow rules that aren't rules. Strong ones are not constrained by sensitivity. The weak shouldn't want to stay weak. The weak, if if there's something in your conscience that you know isn't forbidden, whether it be something you eat or something you drink or a particular day or a particular way you like to worship, you say, well, this is an area of flexibility, but for me, it's an area of conscience. You should desire in your heart, over time, by the grace of God's word, to no longer be what? Weak. Do you want to be a weak Christian your whole life? Of course not. The goal of someone who is constrained by conscience should be over time that the grace of God would give them strength. That's what the weak should desire, is over time to be strong. The strong, on the other hand, there's an area of your life where you uh, experience great freedom because the Bible doesn't constrain you, You should not be cavalier in the presence of those who have deeper sensibilities and sensitivities. We should not be cavalier in our freedom, nor should we judge those who are weak. As to the one who is weak, welcome him. Do not quarrel over opinions. Well, if we don't quarrel over opinions, what are we going to quarrel over? Do not quarrel over opinions. It's a command from the Bible. Bible. We should just preach that verse. Don't quarrel over opinions. The rules of that day had to do with food and special days. They were culturally uh, driven sensibilities. They were not issues the Bible uh, made clear on or even is overly concerned about. Those are issues of the flesh. We know what those are. These were issues over uh, food and uh, special days. Today, a couple of things I've already mentioned. Clothing, what people wear. Christians shouldn't wear particular kinds of clothing. They shouldn't wear clothing that is too gaudy or flashy. They shouldn't wear clothing that we deem is immodest. Of course, how do we decide uh, what is immodest? The Holy Spirit should be working in the heart of each individual on that. We we worry about how we educate our children. Some will say, you, you know, if you pull your kids out of the public school, uh, well, How are they gonna hear the gospel? And others say, if you send your kids to public school, they will worship the devil. And others will say, both of you are worshiping the devil if you don't homeschool your children. And then others will say, well, I'm gonna send them to a Christian school. And if you don't send your kids to Christian school, they will obviously lose their faith. And so these are areas of deep conviction. Do you know any parents who have strong convictions over how children should be educated? What does the Bible tell us? As parent to seek the Lord, to glorify God, is parenting and training up their children the way they should go, and that's it. So your strongly held opinion is fantastic, and we're not to quarrel over it. Uh, things that are, uh, you find entertaining, maybe a particular movie you go to, somebody else wouldn't go to. Things that you do for leisure. Things you eat or drink. Whether or not you consume alcohol or would prefer not to consume alcohol. That might be informed by whether or not you are a recovering addict uh, to alcohol or not. How you spend your money. Some of us uh, would feel, regardless of the amount of money we have, that a person should not own a large home because that is greedy. Or a person should not own a fancy car because that would be greedy. Or if you go on vacation, you should not stay in first-class accommodations because that's what greedy people do. Whereas some would look at those who have smaller homes and unkempt lawns and say that person is lazy because they don't work hard enough to have a good job. And so a person who follows Jesus certainly should have a certain level of income, certainly should be able to go outside and work a lawn more. You might have particular political point of views, depending especially on where you live. In the Pacific Northwest, if you're a Christian, it seems like you're likely a Republican. Not necessarily. If you're in the Deep South and you're a Christian, you are likely a Democrat, historically. But you may be very surprised to find out that there are Christians well-meaning, strong, gospel-believing, loving Jesus, will probably have a bigger house than you in heaven kind of Christians who think differently about politics than you do. Maybe we could talk a little bit about music on a Sunday morning. Some of you think all hip-hop music is satanic. Some of you think all rock and roll music is from the devil. Some of you will agree with me that all country music... I'm sorry, that wasn't... <laughs> yeah. This is what's funny about Southern Oregon. I think that here's just one of these hypocrisy things. I'm not judging you. I'm judging the other churches good christians don't drink but we listen to country music where they sing basically of two two topics cold beer and the woman who left them but what, what I, don't, I don't understand so all of the what is, does the bible inform us about these things yes does the bible say how i should educate my children does it say no it doesn't but we have strong opinions How do we navigate in relational community? And first of all, we have to define our identity. First of all is this, if I cannot live in freedom and live with others who have freedom in these categories, I must recognize I'm weak. That's the the first thing to do. If I have a strongly held opinion about alcohol use, no good Christian should drink alcohol. The Bible does not prohibit the consumption of alcohol. If I believe no good Christian should, should drink alcohol, I have to recognize I'm weak. It doesn't mean I have to go drink. I need to recognize my conviction uninformed by the scripture is a position of weakness. I should learn, I want to grow in strength is what we should want to do. The strong believer who uh, understands their liberty in, in terms of consuming alcohol, though, should also recognize their weaker brother and want to live hospitably and understandably. That makes only perfect sense. But what we do instead is those who are free to consume alcohol, look at those who are limited and say, those are hypocritical Pharisees. That's how we normally would say it, right? And the weak ones say, you're a booze hound and you don't love Jesus. And neither of those are true because the Bible says quite clearly, don't quarrel over your opinions and let Jesus do the judging. That's the simple way to approach these issues, which are not regulated by the bible look at verses 10 11 and 12. why do you pass judgment on your brother what a silly question because that's what we do or you why do you despise your brother we all will stand before the judgment seat of god it's written as i live says the lord every knee will bow every tongue confess to god so then each of us will give an account of himself to god this is these are fantastically liberating verses we get to get out of the how awesome a believer is my brother business and we get to just say i'm going to let jesus handle that what i need to do as an individual is is recognize by the spirit do did i seek to honor jesus in these areas of personal opinion that's where my heart is am i seeking to honor jesus in these areas of personal opinion and secondly Do I put the union of the believers above my personal opinion? Because when I stand before the Lord, these are the things we're going to talk about. He's going to say, did you put the community of believers higher, or did you put your areas of personal opinion higher? Did you put your your political views higher than the, the union of believers? Or did you put the believers higher than your personal opinion?" Regarding things that don't matter, I've got three or four quick things just to touch on, and then we'll, um, we'll close. I want to just remind, we are going to do Christmas this year. I just am worried. I just, I like the gifts. I also like the incarnation. That sounds terrible, but so, yeah, moving on. A couple of things regarding things that don't matter. First one, who are you? Verse four, who are you? Uh, let's just be real. Are you Jesus? Get off your high horse. I don't know how else to say it nice. Are you Jesus? No? All right, simmer down. You got some strongly held opinions. I love it. Have strong opinions. You ought to have strong opinions. Simmer down. The union of the believers, the connection of the relational communion is a bigger deal than you who you think ought to win the election. Your view on taxation or immigration policy is a bigger deal on what you think movies people should or shouldn't see. The union of believers is bigger. We'll talk more about it next week. Now in areas of sin, there is a place for us as believers to go to a brother and say, dude, you are sinning. Let me help you out with that. There's a place for that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about areas the Bible is okay on, and we have personal opinions. Who are you? Why do you pass judgment? You, you can let that go, it's not our job. Each of us will stand before the Lord. Let the Lord handle that. The real question we need to answer is this. How do we live in loving relational community with believers, some of which are weaker than us and some of which are stronger than us? How do we as a body of believers live in relational community together in the gospel with some who are weaker than us by a conviction and some who are stronger than us? How do we do that as a way of worshiping and honoring Jesus? How do we, as stronger brothers and sisters in the Lord, freely give up our liberty as a way of expressing love and compassion to those who are weaker? How do we, who are weaker in particular areas, learn to grow in strength and not constrain the liberty of our brothers and sisters who are around us? That's the guiding principle. How are we gonna live in relational community together when we are so different from one another. And the answer is, since Jesus came here to save us, I think we can reach across to one another and try and connect and relate to those who are different than us. Uh, Three quick things. Number one, first error that we sometimes make in these uh, undisputed er areas is the area, the error, sorry, Jeff is messing with this part of my notes as well, thank you, Jeff. He's not even here to defend himself the error of the slippery slope. Error of the slippery slope. Stick with the drinking metaphor. Drinking is not prohibited, but drunkenness is prohibited. So therefore, drinking is prohibited. See what we did there? You're what? Well, that's a slippery slope. Since drunkenness is a sin. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. How often? Every time? When do you know you're drunk? Drunk. Between you and the Lord, you want more information on that? You're not getting it. (laughs) Since drunkenness is a direct result of drinking, therefore, you know what would just be easier? If we just didn't drink. It's always easier just to define rules and say the way you honor God is to follow these strict rules. The problem is the gospel says you honor God because Jesus died for you. And so your rule suddenly is contravening the gospel. So we don't want to make this area error, error of slippery slope where we say, well, this thing leads to this thing. So you know what? We better just ban everything. If you want to ban everything that leads to sin, we all need to go home, close the door, turn out the lights. And turns out our heart's still with us. That still won't work. And what's also interesting, we only do that with some of the things. Money leads to greed and envy, so therefore, none of us should have money. Nobody's making that argument, I noticed. So again, what we do is we have these little pet things, and usually they come from our background. Sometimes it comes from a place of real deep hurt and wounds. But a lot of this comes not from a, a place of, say, for, in the case of alcohol because of a history of addiction or violence, although that is the case for many of us. It comes from the fact that when I was grown up, I was told good Christians don't drink. Well, that's different. So that's the error of the slippery, slippery slope. Okay, second thing we talked about is this. If you are weak in a particular area of Christian liberty, what should your goal be? You don't want to say it? What should, if you're weak in a particular area of of Christian liberty, whether it be eating, whether it be drinking, whether it be special days, whether it be the kinds of movies or music people listen to, what should your goal be? To be strong. Not saying you have to drink or have to go to particular movies, or that you have to listen to hip-hop. But if 40 years later, you're still weak, that's a problem, don't you think? If 40 years later, you're still a Christian and you still want to constrain other people's activities in things the Bible doesn't constrain them on, that's a problem. So for 40 years, you didn't grow? Why would you be okay with that? I would pray that each of us over time by the power of the gospel grows in our Christian liberty and freedom. It's only God's grace to do it, but we, we have to ask. If after 40 years of being a believer, I still think certain things are wrong that the Bible says nothing about, what went wrong? Why am I still weak there? And on that note, I thought we'd end with this one, just a... There's a big difference between weak and Pharisee. There's a big difference between someone who has a conscience that's constrained because of a history of past uh, experiences in an area and a Pharisee. A Pharisee wants to restrict others because they want to define what religion looks like for them. That's different than a weak believer. Let me give an example. So maybe you like enjoying a cold beer with your steak at the restaurant. Now everybody's trying to sit real still. I can tell in Baptist church, and, well, no, not me. I would never, never. <clears throat> and so maybe you, you can try this out one time. Do an experiment. And if somebody asks, you say, well, I did the experiment. Pastor Greg said to do. Order the biggest beer they got. Everybody from church will walk through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a guarantee, isn't it? Okay, so here's the thing. So we go. So Well, I don't want to order a beer at a restaurant because I don't want to offend somebody. Right? Have you had this thought? I want to give you some freedom. Are you ready? So somebody who walked into a restaurant that serves alcohol, and you're concerned if they're going to be offended by your alcohol, if they're offended... They shouldn't go in that restaurant. That's the difference between a Pharisee and someone who is weak. Now, if you invite that person to your home and you give them a glass of wine, that's on you, bro. But a Pharisee who's walking around town and expecting everybody to order their meals based on whether or not they walk in the room, that's a Pharisee. That's not a weak believer. If you're offended by someone's behavior, then you shouldn't go to the place where people do that. And he well, I wouldn't expect people from my church to be doing that. People from your church are doing lots of stuff. Do you understand where I'm coming from? There is a difference. If you are weak in a particular area, then God's grace and love to that. But, but both Paul and Jesus had strong words for Pharisees who wanted to control the behavior as others as a way of being the behavior police. It, look in Galatians chapter 2, when, when Peter decided not to eat Gentile food, Paul came at him in public and said, you are not living consistent with the gospel. That's different than a weaker brother who is struggling with dietary restrictions. That wasn't Peter's problem. He just wanted to control things and impress people. There's a big difference between being weak and being a Pharisee and that's for each of us in our own place to judge in our own heart by the by the power of the Spirit where am I coming from here is this an issue of conviction that I want to grow in or am I just being a Pharisee where I just want to be able to control the the actions of others because it makes my life more consistent with what I think ought to be regarding things that don't matter each of us will answer to God by His grace why are we judging How are we as a body of believers going to live in the union of Christ to such a degree that the community around us goes, how in the world is that group of people getting getting along? If we're arguing over things the Bible doesn't tell us to argue about, then that is, the world is never going to see our unity.